Welcome to day 128 of the story that changes everything. Our readings for today are 2 Chronicles chapter 7 through 9 and Psalm 54. Here are some thoughts to guide your reading for today. The brief psalm for today, Psalm 54, praises God for hearing the prayer of the psalmist and listening to the words coming out of the psalmist's mouth. Often in the Old Testament, miraculous signs signal to a people that God has received and heard and is accepting their prayers. The continued dedication of the temple in chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles is certainly one of those moments. The sign that God has accepted the prayers of Solomon and the people is fire falling upon the sacrifices and then the glory of God filling the temple. In suggesting that the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because of the glory of God filling it, the narrator is recalling Exodus chapter 40 verse 35 when Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The people respond to God's fire falling in the way one would expect. They were full of awe and wonder. The people respond with a familiar chorus of praise, a line found in Psalm 106 verse 1, 107 verse 1, 118 verse 1, and 136 verse 1. They say, yes, God is good. Yes, God's faithful love lasts forever. It's not at all surprising that God should appear uniquely to Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Solomon and the temple are the highest historical moments for the chronicler, and it would only be natural for God to be present and active there. One of the verses in God's speech to Solomon, verse 14, is perhaps the best known and most loved verse in all of Chronicles. If my people who belong to me will humbly pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It's a beautiful promise, but unfortunately, this verse is often taken out of its context and taken out of its connection to Israel and Judah. This verse has been used to validate a great deal of unhealthy nationalism, not just here, but in other countries as well, and for a long period of time. At the heart of God's speech to Solomon is the warning that although God chose both David and Solomon to rule his people, The continued blessing of that covenant is contingent upon Solomon's and his heirs' faithfulness and obedience to God's decrees and laws. The final section of the speech details the curses that will surely follow if the king is disobedient to Yahweh's will. The primary punishment will be exile from the land and the destruction of the now blessed and filled temple. Of course, the narrator of Chronicles is writing looking back and knowing that these very punishments have already happened. But God has given post-exilic Judah one more chance, and the call to faithfulness now returns and remains upon them. The next chapter, chapter 8, details some of the things Solomon did to secure his reign. The first thing Solomon did was to secure the five most important cities— Solomon's royal activities are accomplished in the reverse order of the way his father, King David, did them. David secured his reign, then fought wars, and then built his palace and prepared to build the temple. Solomon, by contrast, is narrated as having first built the temple, and then only after it was built, he turns his attention to the conflicts and to the matters of state. It must be pointed out, however, that overall, 
Solomon's reign was a time of nearly unparalleled peace and certainly unparalleled prosperity for Israel. Notice that the information about Solomon's conscripting of labor and his foreign wives are mentioned here as they are in Kings. But here too, as we've grown to expect from the chronicler, the nature of Solomon's misuse of labor and the influence of his foreign wives upon his religious life, both of those are largely toned down. Solomon's not portrayed as exactly innocent here, but he's not quite as guilty as he was in 1 Kings. The account of the building of the temple lasted for four chapters, and the account of the dedication of the temple also lasts four chapters. This major section ends here with the comment that all of Solomon's work was completed. The chronicler has two last things to say about Solomon in chapter 9. The first is to use the story of the visitation of the Queen of Sheba to describe the wealth and influence of Solomon's reign, and then the second is to report on Solomon's death. Attempts to identify the mysterious Queen of Sheba and the location of her territory have been largely disappointing, with the options ranging from the southwest Arabian Peninsula all the way down to the Horn of Africa. When the Queen of Sheba encounters Solomon and experiences his wisdom and wealth, she's overawed. She gives a speech in which she praises Solomon for his wisdom and for the grandeur of his court. Solomon's reputation has not only become global, but it's clear to her that God raised Solomon up to administer justice and righteousness. Without question, the chronicler sees this as the high point of Israel's history. The death of Solomon is narrated in the familiar pattern used by the chronicler to describe the death of his father David as well. Again, although the material in this chapter is taken almost directly from the book of Kings, the narrator of Chronicles makes it less clear that Solomon's greed and lack of faithfulness ultimately causes him to violate, for example, the five rules that kings were given in Deuteronomy 17. And and the chronicler kind of overlooks the fact that Solomon planted the seeds that would lead to the division between Israel and Judah. The view of Solomon from the chronicler is largely positive and sets the pattern for what future kings of Judah ought to be. Nevertheless, Things fall apart quickly when his reign comes to an end, as we'll see tomorrow. There is some speculation among biblical scholars that the story of the visitation of Solomon by the Queen of Sheba gets retold or better recapitulated by Matthew in his telling of the story of the visitation of the Magi. The Queen of Sheba brought the same gifts to Solomon, gold and spices, that the wise men brought to Jesus. They both are mysterious visitors from the east looking for a king, and they both discover a son of David. Yet what they experience when they get there and what they encounter could not be more different. The Queen of Sheba encounters Solomon in his overwhelming glory. The Magi, on the other hand, encounter Jesus in his humility and vulnerability. Solomon became the model for Judah of the kind of king that they would hope to have again But for us, Christ is the new model of the king that we actually need. So read these texts carefully, looking for things you've never seen before. Journal your thoughts, prayers, and questions. And keep searching for a king that will bring the nations back together, rather than, like Solomon, will divide them apart. Our texts for tomorrow are 2 Kings chapters 10-12. through I'll talk to you tomorrow.